This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all our dads. I'm just so glad that you decided to join us at church today um, on this Father's Day. And uh, hopefully you got uh, dad something really awesome or you made him breakfast in bed or is that just mother's day that we do breakfast in bed oh you know dad wouldn't mind waking up to the smell of bacon because you know what goes really good with bacon right more bacon bacon. exactly (laughs) exactly so uh i i I do uh have a a a cool uh story to tell you before we get into the word this morning about father's day i know i've shared different things uh, different times, um, just being real vulnerable with my church family uh, about my own dad and my own relationship there and, and about those issues there. Well, uh, my dad, who has been uh, struggling uh, with addiction for uh, many years, um, I just got a call from him yesterday because I knew that uh, today would be a little busy. Oftentimes, I, I wouldn't get to talk to him until later on. You know, today I wouldn't get to call him, you know, just right first thing in the morning. So I talked to him yesterday and told him Happy Father's Day and found out that my, uh, my dad, who had been struggling with addiction for a number of years, um, <clears throat> he, uh, he had finally got uh, uh, to the point in his life where he was ready to change. And so he, uh, he checked himself into one of these Christian programs um, that's going to help him to uh, find freedom in that. And one of these ranch things, yeah. And I thought that was, praise God for that. <clears throat> The, the crazy thing I didn't know is when I talked to him yesterday uh, is that he, uh, he, he's, it's one of these really intense programs where like he's not going to have a phone or anything like that. So I got to talk to him yesterday and, and, and wow, uh, he got checked in that day. The cool thing about what he did was that uh, he went three weeks ago because he kind of hit rock bottom and, uh, and he was going to uh, try to find some help and the place that he was trying to get into, the beds were full. Well, he um, decided to start going to the chapel services, uh, and he did that for three weeks, uh, twice a week going to that just to show him he was serious, and when a bed opened up, they, they took him, and that's where he is. So do me a favor, if you think about it, pray for him while he's in there. Uh, it's going to be a total of nine months, but uh, just six months just on the ranch, but it's going to be a big deal for him, big step for him. So I'm like, thank you, Jesus. That's a great testimony, and, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that. <clears throat> And I appreciate your prayers and, and your thoughts on that as well. Um, we're going to kick off a series this morning that uh, I think is crucial for the time we're in. We've been talking about the need for being disciples over the past six weeks. We've been talking about how Jesus has called us all to be disciples and for us to make disciples. And we understand that that's the purpose and the heartbeat of the local church, especially this local body, Word of Grace. Now, this is actually going to take us into walking through growing as a disciple because I think that what's happening in our day and our time is that uh, people are coming against uh, Christianity. And the world is very much becoming very anti-Christ. And they're becoming very much anti-God, very much anti-Bible, very much anti-Jesus. And uh, very pro-tolerance, uh, but by tolerance they mean intolerance, but really tolerance. And uh, we, we understand that verbiage that goes on in the world today. But one of the things that has constantly been bashed and constantly been questioned has been the Word of God. So I thought, you know what, in this Contend series where we're going to teach you really not just the fact that you believe something, but why you believe it, um, I thought it was really vital that we start off with the Bible because the Bible 
as one of those books that has been scrutinized, that has been, uh, you know, uh, there, there, there's a lot of things surrounding it that people would like to want to bring doubt in the mind of a believer. And so I think that it's important for you and I to understand why we believe the Bible is true, and we have to have something more to stand on than, well, because my mama said so. And when we're challenged and when we're questioned and when things may come on television or things may be talked about in the break room or things may be talked about uh, if, if, you're, if you're a student, things may be talked about in school or if you work in a place or an environment where your Christianity is not really accepted and those things come against you or you go through a trial or a rough time, you question some of those things. Sometimes you go, man, I, I just don't know if this is really true. And so what we believe has to be so rooted and grounded and, and founded in our hearts that it has to go deeper than just, well, I guess because my pastor said it, that it's true. Um, well, I guess that because my grandma taught me this or that, that it's true. We need to know why we believe what we believe, right? So that's what we're going to do through this series. We're going to help you to grow and help us all as a church family to grow in why we believe what we believe. So you know, as we think about the Bible, why, why do we believe that that is true? The Bible says this in 1 Peter 3 and 15 and verse 16. You can bring that up on the screen there. 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 says, But sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So we see here that the Bible tells us we need to be ready to give a defense to, anyone's, for, to, to anyone who asks us a reason for the hope that is within us. We need to know why we believe what we believe, in other words. We need to understand some things about the Bible in order to equip us, in order to strengthen our faith, and to help us to go through those seasons of doubt, when doubt would want to try to snatch away the goodness of God that has been deposited or invested in us through His Word. People want to weaken the church. They want to dilute the truth. They want to only say half of it or some of it or just the popular parts that will sell books. But they don't want to go through the whole thing. You see, here's the deal, folks. Either this thing is 100% true or none of it's true. Cover to cover. Either 100% of it's true or none of it's true. And so when we read the Bible, we have to understand that, that, that this isn't just something that we're just picking and choosing the things that we like to hear. We're not just picking and choosing the things that are convenient at the moment or the things that just make sense to us and we'll do away with the things that don't make sense. And we have to trust that God has been working diligently throughout centuries to preserve His Word, to guard His Word, to make sure that what you and I have today is the Holy Bible, the Holy Word of God. And I want to tell you just a few things about this Bible. The Bible is the number one best-selling book of all time. It's been printed more than any other book. It's been banned more than any other book. It's been burned more than any other book. It's been studied more than any other book. It's been defended and scrutinized more than any other book. The text has been preserved for generations and thousands of years due to diligent scribes who gave their lives to the preservation of Scripture. We can find thousands of years between scrolls that have been preserved, and there's not one single error between them. And this, they just didn't print one out on their printer, okay? A thousand, thousands of years ago, when these scribes, these guys that were their job 
was to diligently record the scripture and to copy, make copies of the scripture. What they would do, <clears throat> excuse me, what they would do is, is, is that they had to be so meticulous in their skill that after they would write a, a section of scripture, that they would have to go back through it and make sure none of the letters are touching one another because if any of the letters were even touching and the spacing wasn't correct, the whole thing's garbage. It's not just let me grab some white out, okay? These guys were so diligent with preserving Scripture that if those letters would even be close enough to touch one another, it's, it's gone. if there was a mistake, there was an error, they didn't flip their, their, their quill upside down and, and, or, or their writing tool upside down and just scribble it out. No, it, it, it was done. I mean, and then after they would get through writing it absolutely perfect, they would go through it. And they would actually count the number of letters in each section because they knew exactly how many letters were supposed to be in each section. What a diligent job that a scribe had. Actually, the Hebrew name for the word scribe is the word that translates into English as a counter. So that's what these scribes would do. They weren't just writers. They were also counters because they would go back and they would count all of the letters to make sure that there were the proper amount in there before they could continue on or before they would hand it to a priest to be read in the temple. And so these things have been diligently preserved. These things have been diligently written and copied. Matter of fact, there were um, in, in, in a scribe's area where, 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 they would, where they would write, there were ceremonial cleansing pools. And every time they would come to a point in Scripture where they would have to write the name of God or where they would have to write Jehovah, uh, or whether they would have to write Yahweh. They would have to stop what they were doing, go and take a bath in the ceremonial pool, come back, get dressed, write the name of God, go back and take another ceremonial bath, and then come back and continue on writing. So if God's name was like in succession in a lot of paragraphs, you were taking a lot of baths that day if you were ascribed. But that's how precious this was to them. This is how precious and diligently they recorded this. So how amazing that it is that these things would be so well documented that, that the scribe's chief responsibility was to make sure that these things were done correctly. Now where do we get this name Holy Bible? The phrase Holy Bible is actually a Latin word, Biblica Sacra, and it means holy book. So that's where that comes from. The phrase was derived from the Greek, from, from the Greek phrase, tabiblia, which means little papyrus book, probably you know, in reference to the material that it was recorded on. Um, and this phrase was used as early as 223 A.D. So it was called Holy Bible from about 223 A.D. So before then, they were just known as simply scrolls or, 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 or letters or, or things that were written by different prophets and things like that that they would read from that they considered sacred and that they considered holy. According to traditional Jewish belief, um, what we refer to today as the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Torah, the instruction and law, it was actually passed down in oral form, and there was a time where it wasn't allowed to be written. Uh, Moses is believed to be the original author, and he wrote those books somewhere between 1440 and 1400 B.C. And a lot of times, these things, when they, when, when they went through the season of, of them not being allowed to be written, these things were passed down orally. How, how, how could you get somebody to memorize that? I mean, I remember as a kid. Right? My mom trying to get me to memorize scripture. I remember one of the chief scriptures that I remembered uh, that she had me memorize because I struggled with fear a lot as a child was in Timothy where the Bible says God hasn't given you a spirit of fear but of love, power, and sound mind. And I thought because I had memorized that, I'm doing pretty good, right? And then I try to memorize other scriptures and I think, man, I'm, I'm doing good. And I've got you know, at least four or five good ones down that I memorized. 
Well, if I was a Jewish boy, by the time I was 12 years old, I would have memorized the first five books of the Bible and been able to quote those things back to the priest and quote those things back to my parents. Every young Jewish boy, by the time they were 12 years old, had memorized the first five books of the Bible because this was so important to the culture to preserve the words of God. And one of the ways that they would help the children to understand the word of God was important is that they would take a, the delicacy of honey, which wasn't just in abundance in that day. You remember when the children of Israel were going to be led into the promised land, um, that, that it was a land that was flowing with milk and honey. You remember that that's what God had promised them and had told them. And honey was very significant in that day and in that region and in that area. It just wasn't something you just went and bought a gallon of it at Costco, okay? Or at Costco, I guess it would be like five gallons, right? And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't something like that. It was something very special, all right? And so what, what they would do is that they would take a portion of uh, Scripture and they would write it down on a little piece of paper and then they would drizzle honey over it and they would put it on the child's tongue. And the reason that they would do this is because they wanted the child to remember that the words of God were special, precious, and sweet. And you can actually read um, where there are references to that in the Proverbs and other places um, throughout the Old Testament. That this was a practice that they actually used to have with young children in order to help them understand how precious and sweet that the words of God were to be to them. And so these guys were memorizing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They're memorizing these things. That's pretty intense, right? I mean, wow. <laughs> That's heavy. And then, well, just because God gave these things to Moses, how do you know that Moses wasn't, you know, on something? Or how do you know Moses just didn't have a bad pizza night? How could God give all these things to Moses? And how in the world could that be validated? I mean, how can we trust that those first five books that Moses wrote were, were, were authentic and they were genuine? I'll tell you how, and I want you to turn in your Bible, if you have it this morning, to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. We're going to read the very words of Jesus Christ. John chapter 5. In verse 46, says this. This is Jesus, and he's, he, he's talking to um, these Pharisees, these, these Jews that are wanting to kill him. John 5 and verse 46 says this. <clears throat> for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? In other words, what Jesus was saying, listen, you guys all know the Torah. You guys all have memorized this thing, you've quoted this thing, and you believe what Moses wrote. Well, if you believe what Moses wrote, then you'll believe what I'm saying, because if you really understood what those first five books were about and what the Torah was all about, you would understand that it was pointing to Jesus, that it was actually revealing man's need for Jesus. And he said, here I am. If you believe that, you've got to believe me too, because Moses wrote about me, and you guys should know it, because you study this thing. You've memorized it. You've got it way deep down in your heart. You know this thing word for word. And if you memorize that and you know it, you should understand this is talking about the coming Messiah, the sons of God, things that he would do, things that he would say, places he would go, even where he was born, recorded in Scripture, recorded in the law, recorded in the prophets, all these different things that were foreshadowing of the coming Messiah and coming of Jesus Christ. 
Just like in the, the book of Genesis where we see that God actually sends out that, that prophetic word and speaks to the serpent. And he says that one is coming, the seed of the woman who's going to crush your head. He said, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. That was the foretelling of this coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. And then over and over again, we see types and shadows of Jesus. And we see the story of Christ. And that's what the Bible really is, folks. From cover to cover. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's the revelation of man's need for Jesus Christ. That's how we get to know God. That's how we get confronted with our sin. That's how we get confronted with how we're dead inside. And how we need a savior. And then the answer is woven all throughout these pages. Written by all these different authors. Spanned over centuries. And somehow there's a common thread. All woven through it. Why? Because that's the way that God willed it. That's the way that God inspired it. That's the way that God actually helped to preserve that so you and I could understand that. So Jesus validated the Old Testament. Jesus validated those first five books of the Bible with what he said right there in John um, 46 and 47. Jesus actually quoted from 24 Old Testament books in his ministry. Jesus actually quoted from 24 Old Testament books out of the 39. And the New Testament as a whole quotes from 34 books of the Old Testament. Some of those that were um, not quoted in the New Testament that we have today are books like Esther. Um, and, and there's a few others that weren't quoted for whatever reason. Um, that doesn't make them invalid by no means or, or in error. But uh, we see that the early church and we see that throughout the life of Jesus that he actually referenced those works and referenced the Old Testament um, all throughout his ministry, when Jesus would say things like, you've heard it said this, and he would quote an Old Testament scripture, he said, but I tell you, you know, this, and, I, and he's helped to bring clarity to it and help them to understand it, you know, um, like when Jesus said that, you know, I didn't come to do away a with the law, I came to fulfill it, and uh, things like that where Jesus was actually quoting and referencing the Old Testament law. Now, let's move to the New Testament. The New Testament is said to be written by various authors between 50 A.D., and 117 A.D. Now, it's comprised of 27 books, and it has more historical duplicates than any other document in history. Discovered are over 5,300 copies and fragments in the original Greek that make up the entire New Testament. Now, what's significant about that? The fact that no other document that is studied today can make that kind of a claim. No matter what you've read in school, what you studied in college, no other historical text or document can make that claim that there are over 5,300 copies and fragments in the original Greek that make up their entire New Testament. Nobody can say that. They can't say that about Shakespeare. They can't say that about Homer. They can't say that about any of the old philosophers or any of the old historical books that they have. Um, there's nothing that can make that kind of a tremendous claim that they have that much backing them up and, and, and that they have that many original copies. Now, um, 800 of the 5,300 that we actually have today it, were written before 1000 A.D., with many of those dating back to only about 20 to 30 years after Jesus' ascension. So they have some really, really old stuff. And here's the thing. There are tiny to minuscule errors in between any of those. And some of them are just like um, some of the errors that are in, in between those texts are like maybe a different use of a pronoun or something. No major discrepancies at all. There's a common thread, a common copy through all of these texts that are thousands of years old that people have studied, that scholars have looked at, that are still preserved today. 
Um, a matter of fact, how many of you guys have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Anybody heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Oh, a lot of you. Good, good. The Dead Sea Scrolls were um, over a thousand fragments of text that were discovered in 1947. Okay, here's the crazy thing about the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found by a young shepherd boy in 1947 who was out watching his sheep and goats, and one of the goats ran away and got in this cave. And the shepherd boy was like, really? I don't want to climb up into that cave and go get this stupid goat. He said, so I'll just throw a rock in that cave and maybe it'll scare the goat to come out. So he grabs a rock and he throws it in the cave and he hears something shatter. He goes, oh man, what in the world was that? And he wanted to go investigate what that shattering was. So he climbs up into this hole, in this high hole in this mountain, in this cave, and he drops down in there and he finds that what he had actually done is he had broken a pot that was full of scrolls, ancient texts. And, he, and, and after he brought those and they got in the right hands and people began to study those things, what they found were exact duplicates and copies of the Old Testament, of the New Testament, of all of these different writings that were exactly what you and I have today. Okay, the things that were translated, the things that were transcribed, literally word for word, these things that were preserved in this, in, in this cave for hundreds, maybe even thousands of years that had been written down and preserved. And the reason that people believe that uh, those things were hidden in that cave and preserved, they believe that those uh, Dead Sea Scrolls actually date back um, to the time of when Rome uh, was in power. And you remember the fall of Jerusalem happened uh, after Jesus' ascension and the persecution of the church began. And we began to see the rise of the Emperor Nero. Anybody remember that name? The Emperor Nero. And this guy was nuts. And he, you know, burned Rome down. This guy was insane. And he persecuted a lot of Christians, killed a lot of Christians. And his goal, like many other people that we've seen throughout history's goal, was to eradicate the Jewish people. He wanted to destroy the nation of Israel. The best way to eradicate a nation and destroy a nation during those times when you would want to wipe out a civilization was for you to not just kill the people, but to actually destroy anything that was written about them. So they'll just be forgotten about. They'll be no more. You won't even know who they were because there'll be no historical evidence of them. So they want to take anything that was important to them, anything that was sacred to them. They wanted to burn their libraries. They wanted to burn the scrolls, burn all the manuscripts that they had in order to go, the Jews, those weren't even real people. They're, they don't, they're not even in existence. What are you talking about? It would just be a fable. It would be a, a fairy tale. It would just be legend because there would be no evidence backing up those claims. So here is Nero trying to burn all this stuff down, trying to destroy all this stuff, because he's trying to destroy the people of God. We also see in recent years, back uh, during the world wars, where, who was it? Adolf Hitler, who was trying to destroy the nation of Israel as well. We see to this very day that there are still others that are surrounding this nation of Israel, all these other countries that are trying to do what? destroy Israel. We hear it on the news all the time where the Iranians want to see Israel wiped off the map. They want to destroy them. They hate them. They're, they're, they're persecuting them. All these surrounding regions, all of Islam hates the Jews and hates Israel and want to see them completely destroyed. And they have scripture in their uh, Muslim Bible, in the Quran, telling them to do so. So if you want to buy into all this garbage that Islam is a peaceful religion, um, just watch a few documentaries about what Islam is really about. It's not a peaceful religion. It's a religion that wants to basically see Israel wiped off the map. 
And so you and I need to understand Israel has been persecuted ever since they came into existence. Not just in recent history, but the people of God have just been, they, 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 people have been jealous of them. People have been angry towards them. All these different things, all this hatred, and it's this world system that is against them, that hates them, wants to see them gone. But for some reason, <clears throat> because God made this covenant with the nation of Israel, not only are they still alive and well today, not only are they doing well and thriving today, but we still have text and things that were trying to be destroyed, and we have more texts than any other civilization, than any other religious belief, than any other historical book or document. We have more right here. More original copies. And what that should show us and what that should encourage us is that God is going to see that His Word is preserved and protected. Amen, somebody? I just think that's crazy. The Dead Sea Scrolls are over a thousand fragments. And and it's the exact thing that had been studied hundreds of years prior to those things ever even being discovered. Exact same replicas, exact same things. And so we need to understand something about what we have today because we wonder, oh, well, the Bible, you know, is just a book put together by men, you know, it was just written by men, and it's just, you know, uh, how, how can we trust in the Bible? Understand something. The man didn't canon or man didn't, uh, man's authority did not put together um, the Bible. This was something that was inspired by God, that was led by God. And actually, we can see even throughout the New Testament that early Christian believers They would accept the writings of the apostles as authoritative word that was inspired by God. That it wasn't just something, um, you know, that somebody decided, yeah, we like that one, we don't like that one. We like this one, we don't like that one. Let's put all the ones we like together and let's make up a good story. Because these texts are separated by a thousand years. These texts are separated by centuries and by authors who never even met one another. But yet there's still that commonality, there's still that thread that weaves in between the words of Scripture. And those words are the words that reveal to us Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, we can see in Scripture where the New Testament was validated by, <clears throat> by the early church in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 14. Peter writes, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved Paul uh, our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as in also in all of his epistles, speaking to him of these things, in which some of these things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they also do the rest of the scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall away from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Here in verse 16, we see where they were comparing the writings of Paul to the rest of the Scripture. And what they mean when they say that in my Bible, it's a capital S for Scripture. Maybe it's uh, the same in yours if you're following along. And what he's referring to there, and Peter is telling him, saying, listen, there's guys out there that are writing other versions or variations with their own twist, with their own bent on Scripture to get you to you know, buy into their doctrine or to follow them or to give them money or whatever the case may be. But he said, you know, we need to be aware of those things because we trust in the, what the Apostle Paul has written as well you know, as they're trying to twist what he's saying as they do the rest of the Scripture. 
So they're comparing what Paul write in the same sentence as those holy scriptures that they would have memorized by the time that they were 12 years old. They're comparing the writings of Paul to the writings of the prophet Isaiah. They're comparing the writings of Paul to the prophet Ezekiel and some people who bring a lot of weight, a lot of heavy hitters that they have studied and that they think very highly of and that they esteem very highly. And they would put Paul in that same boat that they say that they, they twist the words of Scripture and also the words of Paul. That's pretty heavy and that's pretty uh, uh, revealing to us to help us to understand that Peter is comparing the apostles' writing to the Hebrew Bible showing that these epistles were part of the early church understanding that this is what we're trusting as Scripture. Now understand that um, the Bible has over 40 writers with 1,600 years between them, 668 prophecies fulfilled, and it has passed the test of time. And we can trust that God has preserved His holy word through the ages, and we can believe that what we have today is His Word. We can believe that this thing is true. We can believe that, uh, that, that, that it truly is the Word of God for us today, that in Scripture, it reveals to us the heart of God for you and for me, that in Scripture, that He's revealing to us the will of God <clears throat> for us, that He's revealing in Scripture Jesus. From cover to cover, we see that. And people may try to twist it. People may try to malign it. But let me tell you something. God has preserved his word throughout the ages. People have tried to burn it. People have tried to destroy it. But it's still around and it's still true, even through all the different translations and all the different things that it has gone through. And, and, and I'll give this little disclaimer that not every translation is 100% accurate. There are some translations out there that do definitely uh, have some error or, or that aren't really communicating the idea of what's supposed to be said um, appropriately. And there are some of those out there that may have a section or two um, that uh, isn't exactly accurate. But when we go back and when we look and when we see um, all throughout history that this has been something that is preserved, it has to bring some weight to our belief. It has to help us to understand God must have a plan. God must be watching over His Word and preserving His Word. Even during times where people would try to twist Scripture, we can see even when Jesus was around, people were trying to twist Scripture. People were trying to twist His words. We can see during the early church, people were already starting their own movements and their own teachings and their own variations of what exactly was right. And uh, you guys remember maybe a, a few years back when um, that, that Dan Brown book came out, The Da Vinci Code, and, and everybody's freaking out. Oh, no, The Da Vinci Code. And here it is. It's everywhere. And, and, and The Da Vinci Code, the reason it was such a big deal and the reason everybody was freaking out so much is because The Da Vinci Code um, was questioning the authority of Scripture. And it was such a popular book and a popular movie that was questioning the authority of Scripture because it was painting um, the Gnostic Gospels as the same weight and authority as the Word of God that we have that's been preserved today. Because there were variations in teachings. You know, it teaches from the book of, of Judas, teaches from the book of Thomas. And we even see that uh, in the book of Jude, in the Bible that we have, that he references the book of Enoch. And so there are other books and there are other writings out there that are not included in what we have as the Holy Scripture 
as the Word of God. You know, if, if you grew up Catholic, maybe you grew up reading the Apocrypha, and you're like, why, don't, why doesn't pastor teach from 1st or 2nd Maccabees, you know, or, or something like that, you know. Uh, and, and, and those books were added later as a secondary canon after the original Scripture was brought together. And the reason they had to canon all the Scripture, and they had to say, no, this is, this is what we're going to teach, this is what we're going to adhere to and believe, the reason they had to do that was because of all these Gnostic Gospels that were being written, and because of all of this false teaching that was going forth and because of all these things that were saying no this is right no this is right and they had to look and, and, and piece together those things that they believed were inspired by God that were from God and those are the things folks that have preserved all throughout the ages all throughout the test of time and we see that you know like with the Da Vinci Code one of the big things was that you know Jesus was married he actually ended up marrying Mary Magdalene, and that's what was taught, that was referenced from one of the Gnostic Gospels, and that he really wasn't the son of God because they had a kid, and or, you know, there's this kid who's the ancestor of Jesus, and all this stuff, and all that's just heresy, and it's, and it's wrong, uh, and, and it's not, not scriptural, and it's not true, um, because there were a lot of different teachings out there that would throw out some crazy ideas to try to disprove, or to try to cause people to question, or just to simply try to throw people off track, but there have been people throughout the ages that God has raised up after every generation that has fought diligently to preserve the truth of Scripture. And we see that what we have today, we can trust that it is truth because God has seen that His Word has been watched over. God has seen to it that His Word has been preserved. No matter who has tried to destroy it, no matter who has tried to burn it, no matter who has tried to wipe the Jewish people off the face of the earth, we can still see that His Holy Word is still number one bestseller of all time. And that's got to give some validation and so, uh, to, to what we believe. You know, we've we got to understand this, though, about the Bible. The Bible is true, and we believe it. Just because you believe something doesn't make it true. Let me say that again. Just because you believe something doesn't make it true. I believe that Barney is going to come in here any minute now and he's going to appear and he's going to all sing a song and we're all going to dance together and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. I love you, you love me. We're a happy family. Great big hug and a kiss from me to you. Won't you say you love me too? That's probably not going to happen no matter how hard I believe that. And if it did happen, you seriously need to reconsider what church you go to. Because that would just be creepy. Um, I'm the pastor and I would probably leave. But understand something. Just because you believe something doesn't make it true, doesn't make it right. But that's the day and time we live in where people believe that truth is relative. And they think that, oh, I, I, because I believe it, it's true. And you're, you're right and I'm right and everybody's right. And there is no distinction between what is right and what is wrong. Because everybody's right. Why can't we be friends? And we're all just trying to get along together and all this junk. But let me tell you something. There is right. There is wrong. There are absolutes. There is one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. Amen? Why do we know that? Why do you know that? Because of the Word. Amen? Amen? That's how you know that. You know there's only one way to the Father because of the Word. Because of the Word of God that has been preserved, that has shown you Jesus. You know that you needed Jesus. You saw at some point in your life, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you saw at some point in your walk, in this journey of life, your need for Jesus. How did you see that need for Jesus? How did you understand your need for Him? 
a lot of times will come to knowledge of Jesus through preaching or the teaching of the word. The Bible says, let him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. The Spirit of God is drawing you by his truth to himself, convicting the world of sin, bringing them to repentance, showing them as we read throughout Scripture, we see our need for Jesus Christ. We see how no matter how good we could be and how adherence to the law we could try to have, that it wasn't good enough, that we couldn't redeem ourselves, that only Jesus could absolutely pay that price and come and be that perfect sacrifice. And we believe it because it's true. Whether or not we choose to believe it or not does not change the fact that the Word of God is still true. It's going to be true, and a lot of people are not going to choose to believe it. A lot of people are going to want to doubt. A lot of people are going to want to try to sow doubt amongst the brethren. They're wanting to bring the Bible under a, a, maybe a new light to try to shed something else, some type of thing that would cause you to question, some type of thing that would cause you to doubt. But when those times come and when those news reports happen or when those conversations happen at work with that co-worker who's that die-hard evolutionist maybe or agnostic or just straight-up atheist that may want to just come against you. And when you walk away from that conversation, are you going to understand why you believe what you believe? Or are those things going to sow seeds of doubt? My intent today and my purpose today was to hopefully give you some information and some teaching from Scripture as well to help encourage you to know why you believe what you believe. Now, the fact that God's Word is written carries a weight. It carries a weight. Just the fact that it is written carries a weight to our faith because unlike Buddha or Muhammad, whose writings and teachings are all of one man, it's just one man who said a bunch of stuff that some guys wrote down. The Bible was written by many authors, and it was separated by centuries. But yet there's still that commonality and that single thread written. So, so for that to have happened, it would have had to have been this great, huge conspiracy where somebody a couple thousand years ago said, Hey, I'll tell you what, I've got an idea. Let's create this religion. It's going to be awesome. Here's the plan. Everybody just keep adding to it. But let's just keep on, you know, keeping this thing, you know, consistent. There's no way. You would have had to been an absolute genius to have made it up and to fill in all of those areas and, and, and convinced all of these people. You would have had to been an absolute genius to have made that happen, but yet it was written. And God saw that his word was preserved. He saw that it was carried forth. And that the fact that it was written brings weight to it. There, there's a great story kind of help us understand the power of writing, power of having the written word of God. There was a man at a university who was before his professor, and he was giving his final dissertation to earn his Ph.D. This guy had been working very hard all throughout the years, and here he is at the apex of his college career, ready to finally give his dissertation to his professor to receive his Ph.D. And the man didn't like the way that the dissertations were graded and the way that they were uh, actually judged. So, in an effort to be smarty pants and in an effort to make a point, when he would give his dissertation in front of his professor and he would make a profound statement, he would quote by saying, as told to me by the lady in the elevator yesterday. And then he would go on and make another profound statement, and he would say, 
as told to me by the waiter on 5th Street. The professor interrupted him and he said, Hey, you can't make statements like this in a dissertation. You must have written references. And the guy said, Aha, that's exactly my point. Why must I have my statements written? And what weight does that writing carry? Who does it matter who said what and when they said it? Why does it matter that they're written down? And the professor said, okay, okay, okay. I get where you're coming from. I just want to see where you were coming from. So go ahead and finish your talk. Go ahead and finish your dissertation. So the man thought that he had outsmarted his professor. He continues his dissertation, finishes up. And on graduation day, the professor said, well, congratulations. He said, it looks like that you have passed and we've decided to award you your PhD, but we're not going to give it to you in writing. He said, instead, just take our word for it. As you think about that, there's some weight to this thing because it's written down. It carries some authority. Amen? Amen. We can reference it. We can look to God's word. We can look to what he said and not just take someone else's word for it because you can't stand for something in your own authority. You can't stand for something in your own authority. You can't stand for something uh, even in, in my authority. You can't go, well, because pastor said so, or because my mom said so, or because my dad said so. No. At the end of the day, when we stand before the judgment seat of God, it's going to be, what did you do with the word that I gave you? What did you do with what I showed you about myself? With the things that I wanted you to understand about me? Because this carries authority. You can't stand for something in your own authority. We'll get caught with our pants down if we do that. You get try to back, somebody tries to back you into a corner. You don't know why you believe what you believe. Next thing you know, you're going, well, and they'll say, well, why do you believe that? Well, I, because, uh, just because. Well, just because isn't cutting it in our day and age, Amen. Just because will cause us to be opened up to a lot of doubt. You and I just don't need to know what we believe. We need to know why we believe what we believe and stand on the authority of Scripture. I want to read you one more Scripture before we go this morning in the book of Matthew, chapter 7. Matthew 7 and verse 24. says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were, were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Here's Jesus teaching them. They're amazed, and he's just told them, you need to have your life founded on the rock. And he said, if you listen to these words I'm speaking to you, and you found your life on those words, he said, you are going to be building your life or your house on the rock. And he said, if you don't, you're going to be building your house or your life on the sand. He said that storms are going to come to both. Did you notice that? He didn't say, if you build your house on the rock, you're never going to have any problems. 
He didn't say, if you build your house on the rock, everything's going to be peachy, so just come to church, be a good person, pay your tithes and volunteer somewhere, and everything will go swell. It's not true. He didn't say that. He said, build your house on the rock, build your house on the sand, because, buddy, let me tell you, storms are coming, but determined on what you have built your life upon, on which foundation you have decided on, either his words or your ideas, either his words or man's philosophy, either his words or what is popular in culture today and what kind of the going way of the world is to believe. You can stick with him and you're going to build that house on the rock because when the storm comes, it's going to stand because the foundation is strong. The life of a believer is, 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 is about movement and the foundation is critical to what kind of life we build and the kind of stability that you and I have. Storms come, trials come, but the stability is key to our movement. We've been talking about growing as disciples. We've been talking about growing in following Christ and growing in loving God, loving people, and serving the world. We've been talking about growing in those areas. But for us to truly grow in a healthy way, we have to have that foundation in place. The Bible brings in my life that foundation that creates stability so I can move forward, so I can grow. The Bible is that foundation, is that authority. It doesn't shift or change, and His Word can be trusted. How else would we even know about some of the things we know about had it not been for the Bible? How would we know about God or if it weren't for fulfilled prophecies about Jesus written down by Isaiah, by Jeremiah, by Ezekiel, that was penned by a scribe that was so diligent to make sure everything was absolutely perfect and preserved? That there were tons of scribes that would write these things and make sure these things were preserved. That there were mothers and fathers who would teach their children that the word of God was sacred and was to be sweet to them and precious to them. All of these things were done so you and I at this day and at this age could be learning about who God is. Be learning about how to have a relationship with him. We wouldn't know these things had it not been for that type of diligence, that type of preservation. And God saw to it that it continued on generation after generation persecution after persecution every single time and it's still the number one bestseller still the most studied it still has more historical proven fact and it still has more original documents than anything else that's studied in the world today so understand something God has watched over his word and he's still watching over his word because you and I are here freely reading his word today not said to be true in every nation in our world, is it? But you and I have the freedom in this nation to be able to sit here and open up this Bible without fear of what someone will come and say or do. Don't know how much longer that type of freedom will last. You and I did not take for granted the freedom that we have in Christ, that we have in this country to be able to study openly the scriptures, and that we need to take this word of God and hide it in our heart as he tells us to. That we need to take this stuff seriously. The word is the foundation. The word of God changes our thinking to be in line with what God thinks. The Bible gives me that revelation of who Jesus Christ is and it shows me my need for him. I hope that this has encouraged you today. I hope that it has, it has stirred up and strengthened your reason why you believe that it's true today. And that's what we're going to do throughout the rest of this series. We're not just going to talk about what we believe so we can all high-five and go, yeah, we believe it. No, I want to equip you with why we believe what we believe.
So when the storms come, we're founded on the truth. And I thought there was no better way to start this series than talk about why we believe the Bible. Because if we don't understand why we believe the Bible, the rest of this series doesn't even have a foundation. It's just a bunch of good stuff and some historical, you know, archaeological stuff or maybe some, you know, facts that I dug up somewhere else. But if we understand the weight and the authority of the Word of God, we understand the weight and authority of Scripture, we can see how God has preserved His Word and how He's still speaking to us today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your head this morning? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.